1: 11 to 1, Monday Motivation, motivation.
0: You, you stronger, on LMFM.
1: Now imagine being a prisoner in your own body, unable to speak or move. Imagine everyone around you believing that you were no longer there, assuming you didn't know what was going on. Well, in April 2015, Clodagh Dunlop's life changed forever. She suffered a brain stem stroke at age 35 and it left her battling locked-in syndrome, unable to move or speak. Doctors told her she'd never move or speak again. 90% of people diagnosed with locked-in syndrome die within the first four months of the diagnosis. But remarkably, 18 months after suffering the stroke, Clodagh returned to work as a police officer at the PSNI in Londonderry. This is the incredible story of the sheer power of of the human spirit and how one woman never gave up on herself. Clodagh Dunlop is with me now and you're so, so welcome to 11 to 1. How are you doing, Cloda?
0: Good morning, Janelle. I'm good.
1: Good, good. Now, take me back to 2015. You were working as a police officer. You would a great career in front of you. You had a loving partner. You had a, You were a keen runner as well in your spare time. But all of that changed in April 2015. What happened?
0: It was March 2015. I was a fit, active frontline police officer. I had came second out of 700 applicants, mostly men, and was looking forward to joining a new role in what people call the riot squad or riot police. And I kept up my fitness every day, running four miles. But in April 2015, I suffered a brain stem stroke and as a result of that I suffered from locked-in syndrome and found myself more helpless than a newborn baby.
1: And were there any warning signs prior to that day? Like had you been feeling unwell or did this just come on you all of a sudden?
0: About five days prior to that day I had suffered a PIA or mini stroke when I was on duty at work, but due to my age, I had attended hospital and it was misdiagnosed as fatigue, so it was unfortunate that it was missed.
1: And this, which we're going to get to in a little bit later on, but this is something that you are very much campaigning for, you know, more awareness among the medical profession in stroke and younger people, which which we will get to. But, you know, I can't even begin to wrap my head around how incredibly frightening it must have been for you to wake up in hospital surrounded by tubes, unable to communicate or to move. Do you remember what was going through your mind when you first woke up? Was it just blind panic and fear?
0: I remember everything. Initially when I woke up, there was a part of me that was satisfied that I had been right, that there was something wrong. But it was when I couldn't move a muscle and when a nurse had asked me, or had said to me, Clodagh, you've had a stroke. And it was when I couldn't ask her any questions or move a muscle and let her know that I was in pain, that I became terrified.
1: So you're sitting there, you've got, you're screaming I would imagine from the inside. All these people are talking about you, saying how severe the situation is. Medical professionals assumed that you weren't able to understand, is that right?
0: In intensive care, the main concern is and the main priority is keeping you alive. So there was no concern. Was I there? There was no conversation to me, or I had no uh, facility to show to them that I could communicate, and that was very terrifying.
1: I, I can. I, I just. I can't even begin to be in your shoes, Claudia. So. You're a prisoner in your own body. You've only got your own thoughts for company. So once you get your head around this initial fear of what's happening to you, that you can't move and you can't speak, and you only have your own thoughts for company, what do you then tell yourself?
0: As a police officer, we learn about uh, fight or flight when faced with a threat to your survival. And I knew quite simply... When it went down to the basics, that I had two choices to either fight or give up. And I knew that the only choice that I would make was to fight.
1: And fight you did. So how long were you alone then with your own thoughts before your amazing partner insisted to the professionals that you were indeed in there and that you could actually hear what was going on and you knew, you know, what they were saying?
0: My story is quite unique for locked-in syndrome in that my partner realized on the first day that I was still there. He had asked me, Clodagh, if you're there, can you blink once for yes? And I didn't know if I had any control over my eyelids. And it was hugely important in that moment that I let him know. I I knew if I didn't let him know, how would anybody else who didn't know me understand that I was there and on that first day he realized that I was there and Although he recognized that Clodagh who he knew was there medical professionals their main concern in intensive care is keeping you alive. So there was no assessments by medical staff to establish that Clodagh was inside this lifeless body.
1: So you do this, you muster all of your strength and you blink at him. And he he realises, because he knows, I think, really deep down that you are still there. What did it feel like then for him communicating like this with this one blink? That must have felt, thank God, a big relief for you.
0: It was probably at that moment one of the best moments ever in my life because I had been lying, unable to communicate to anyone. If you can imagine you're in pain, you have an itch, your nightdress is uncomfortable and you've no way of communicating that and everyone's talking over you and then suddenly he establishes that I'm there and he asks me closed questions Mm. and I remember being so delighted I thought if I could jump out of this bed I would hug you in delight. Um, I couldn't show him how happy I was but Inside, there was jumping up and down for joy.
1: <laughs> absolutely, and I, I, I'd say, you know, that connection that you have with him—he knew, he knew that you were, you were reaching out. Absolutely. Now we have to mention the team at Royal Victoria Hospital. They cared for you, and this is sort of. <laughs> tricky because they decided to come into work out of hours to perform a really specific procedure that you needed to remove a clot in the brain. Can you explain this situation because this operation is not available 24-7?
0: No, I had a relatively new procedure called a mechanical thrombectomy. Now, this procedure would only be available at that time, 9 to 5, in the Royal Victoria Hospital, Monday to Friday. I had my stroke at midnight. Normally the procedure is only carried out within a six-hour window, but the doctors came in and the medical team came in and performed the surgery 10 hours later. Um, Now because I've had the surgery and made the recovery that I have, that has changed the parameters in which people have the life-saving surgery. The window has now extended And I'm pleased to say here in Northern Ireland, at least, that hopefully in the next couple of years that the surgery will be available 24-7. I have been very passionate about campaigning Mm -hmm. to reshape stroke services and attended Westminster, asking them to make the surgery available 24-7.
1: So this is very much ongoing for you. So the window has moved, but had it's kind of on the one hand, had they been there, you wouldn't have had the, you know, effects that you still have from stroke because the operation would have been performed quicker. But also had they not come in, you might not be talking to me today.
0: Well, about six years ago, the surgery wasn't available, so I would be dead. Um, had they not have come in and performed the surgery, I've been told I would be dead. And so I'm very grateful for them for having chosen to come in. Uh, I could be angry that the surgery was performed after 10 hours, but mm. there's a little point in holding on to anger and being angry about what happened. I decided that the best course of action would be to try and change the services and make the surgery available for everyone 24-7.
1: And this is what you're doing with Speaking Out and also uh, through your book which I'm going to talk about as well. So when you blink and they realise that you're still there and they bring you this device which we actually post a picture of on our our Facebook, it's the front cover as well of of the book, Um, when you can make out simple words Uh, I know that that was great initially and then, knowing you, Clodagh, this was short-lived, this joy, because you wanted out of this prison and you were frustrated about not being able to communicate properly. But what was it like to get the device initially?
0: To get the device was wonderful. Uh, People thought that I would be spelling out things like I love you and more emotional things. Mm. But me, I'd spent two and a half weeks silent, unable to control any part of my environment by me. I couldn't uh, tell a nurse that my nightdress was uncomfortable or I had tears in my eyes or I was too hot. So I found I was able to spell out and take control of my environment and spell out to make me signs and put a fan on and don't put sheets over my body.
1: So you were getting... <laughs> We're getting straight to the basics. I'm uncomfortable here. I want to be colder. I love that. I love that. You are straight down to, to action. So the doctors, you know, they give you a little chance you know definitely at the start they were saying you're not going to come out of this and you definitely won't walk again but you become determined and driven and focused on your recovery and tell me what life is like for you today now because not only are you out and recovering you are walking very much Um,
0: Life is in many ways richer than it was before yet similar I'm back at work full time, and I enjoy going to the gym every day, which I did pre-stroke. And now I focus on recovery in the gym, but I find that I also make time now to Skype other survivors around the world that have locked-in syndrome and give talks to different groups um, throughout the province. Talking about my experience and giving people who have difficulties and upsets in their life a hope and showing them they can get through dark days.
1: Absolutely, they, they really can. And from reading the book, there were so many times that I just cried because what I found really, you know... It, it's so much it's like you, you, you overcome some bit and then there's another obstacle in your way and then you overcome that bit and then there's another thing and this is what happens with you and that's why people will, will definitely cry reading your story but what I found really just so inspiring as well was how you kept your mind occupied you focused on nice memories and you really daydreamed and fantasised as well when you were going through all this that's what kept you going I did.
0: uh, I had a nice life before stroke and it helped me to focus my mind. I used the power of my mind to focus and think about things that I had done before previously. I enjoyed uh, skydiving before stroke in Namibia and when I was overheating and my lifeless body was so still I would close my eyes and Think about when I threw myself out of an airplane in Namibia and the wind was rushing and I was able to breathe in the air deeply that was around me. And it was an escape from that still sterile environment that I was in.
1: And this is is what gets people through things like this it's the power of the mind over body and I I just love that you did this you know and 18 months like 18 months later when I say that I just can't get my brain around it after this horrific life-altering thing happens to you, you not only speak and walk and do all of those things that Dr. not thought you couldn't do, but you go back to full service as a police officer. That must have been an absolutely amazing, proud moment, walking back through those doors to take up your job again.
0: It was. I am extremely proud that I managed to do it. I don't know of anyone else in the world who returned to their job role after having locked-in syndrome so I'm very proud of that but it was also a challenge returning to work as a disabled police officer and I guess I needed a lot more mental strength than I had thought I would when I returned to work. My goal had been return to work, return to work and that had been a focus but returning with disabilities was definitely a challenge I had to overcome.
1: And not only that, you went on, and uh, you're now detective. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I had to find myself. I knew that with right side of weakness as a result of the stroke, that I wasn't going to be able to join the riot police as I had previously wanted to. So I set my mind on what my new job role would be, and I studied. And pass the exams to become a detective. And the job role is rewarding. And I guess I'm back serving the community, doing what I
1: love. You totally are. And, you know, like I, I, I think for for this is a really appropriate question for somebody like you because we we often ask this in in Monday motivation, but you know, if you could go back in time, now you can't change anything about what's happened to you, but you can go back in time and have a word with, say, 10-year-old Clodagh about the life that she's going to lead to prepare her for what's going to lie ahead. What would you say to 10-year-old Clodagh if you could go back now?
0: I would tell her, never give up. There is absolutely nothing that you can't do if you put your mind to it and work hard. And I would tell her that Everyone you meet in life is on their own journey and be nice to everyone you meet.
1: Great, great words of advice. Now, I mentioned the book, you've written it. It's an incredible journey. It's called A Return to Duty, a story of Clodagh's journey of recovery against all odds. It's an unbelievable story of the power and strength of human spirit. And you are doing this to raise funds. It's self-published and you've written it and published it to not only raise awareness about stroke and get your story out there, but you also um, want to increase funds for further treatment in the US. Isn't that right?
0: That is, when I had my stroke initially, I had rehabilitation in the hospital for six months, and then I had a further three-month rehabilitation in the community, but stroke rehabilitation within the health service year stops after that, and I've had to self-fund any continuing physiotherapy, and... Four and a half years later, I do see myself continuing to make progress and I've always said I want to be the best I can be. And I believe if I self fund more rehabilitation that one day I will get back to running. That's a goal that I've always had.
1: And I have absolutely no doubt that you're going to do it. Clodagh, the messages are coming in for you. That woman is a true inspiration. Miracles do happen, says somebody else. She's an amazing lady. I hope all goes well for you. Good luck and may your future be bright. And I have to echo that. Thank you so, so much for joining me, for sharing your incredible story. And uh, I wish you all the very, very best for the future. Thank you so much, Sinead. No problem. Listen, thanks a million for joining us. Thank you. It's Clodagh Dunlap there, and we will post up a link to where you can get that book on our Facebook page a little later on. Eleven to one on LMFM with Gilmore's Kings Court for the largest selection of Mercedes-Benz certified pre-owned vehicles. Your pre-owned Mercedes Benz is closer than you think at Gilmore's Kings Court, your local Mercedes-Benz dealer. L-M.